On today's show, in 2023, the prodigal son returned with a... Not quite a vengeance, but returned pretty okay. We're going to be talking about everybody's favorite El Nino, Mr. Fernando Tatis Jr., his return to the Padres this season, what went wrong, what went right, what went sort of okay, and looking ahead to 2024. Let's get started. You are locked on Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Thursday, October 12th. As always, I'm your host with sometimes occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres. All right, personal account versus show account. Pretty easy distinction, in my opinion. And then also, check out YouTube, Lockdown Padres on YouTube if you want to see my face my hair, my, my, my so luxurious and radiant hair, or if you want to just see Tatis and Pac-Man, the little bobblehead. Tatis very relevant today, obviously, so he's, he should be like right in the front. Hey, hey, everybody. Um, everybody also, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper Picks, and you could win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get up to a $100 match. $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions do apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. And today's episode, guys, dare I say, the the seat, the player review that everyone wants the most because he's the star of the team. He's the heart and soul of the team. And while Xander Bogart, who we did on yesterday's show, um, might have been the more like blockbuster like, if you are a Padres fan, maybe you could argue that was, like, the most important move that happened in the offseason in a lot of ways. But Tatis's return uh, was probably the most anticipated player return that we'd had in a decent long uh, amount of time, especially for the Padres. And in general, was super hyped up. We called it a national holiday when he came back this year after serving his suspension. And I think that, you know, this is a player that uh, has a lot of, not baggage, but a, lot, a little bit of a circus behind them. And I think that that's what happened this year in the sense that, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is the villain arc uh, for Tatis. Heading into this year, obviously, coming off the suspension for the the, the performance-enhancing drug suspension um, and on top of that having a shoulder injury, there was a lot to look forward to for Tatis this year. The fact that he's coming back to baseball and there was a lot of questions before the season. I, one of my biggest questions, I think it was actually... I did an episode about my biggest questions for the Padres this season. I think one of them was like, what version of Tatis are we getting? And what I meant by that was not just his abilities on the baseball diamond, which we'll of course be talking about, but are we still going to get that like really loud, like boisterous, maybe not boisterous, but more of a flamboyant personality, a guy who does the bat flips. I mean, he literally bat flipped and it was the cover of MLB 21, the show, right? Like there's, there's so many there's so much of a, a a fun factor to Tatis. He's the most exciting player absent, you know, Otani and maybe Ronald Acuna, assuming you can stand the fact that Acuna stands over the plate and gets mad whenever you pitch him on inside. But aside from that, probably like the most entertaining player in the sport. Uh, maybe Eli, Eli De La Cruz uh, down the line may be that, but not yet. Um, but yeah, like, so he's all he's got that popularity for sure. And as a result of the suspension, 
um, and his popularity, frankly, um, and being on a team that, you know, is is breaking a lot of the mold in baseball. There's so many eyes on him, and a lot of the eyes this year uh, kind of formed him to be a villain. And I talked about this uh, on an episode a while back um, and how I thought it was stupid and I didn't like it. I didn't like when Joe Kelly called him, you know, the B word. I just thought that there was a lot of dumb stuff this year. And personally, I thought that the villain arc was definitely true, that this did feel like Tatis became uh, one of the villains of the sport, at least for a little bit. Um, I think that the villains of the sport are still probably the Astros. While I personally would tell people to get over it, it's been like seven years. Um, I, I, I do get it uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and then for the for the Padres with Tatis, he's probably the, an individual player that's the biggest villain in the league right now, um, which I think says a lot about how sports fans are. <laughs> the fact that a guy who used a performance enhancing drug uh, to get back faster or whatever, whatever have you, uh, is treated more poorly and hated more by fans and players alike uh, versus, let's say, Anthony Bass or let's say any of the off-the-field people. There's one currently on the Braves right now that uh, isn't all that likable for those reasons. It's just interesting that I'm not saying that everyone should be booing. I'm not saying that players don't have the certainly don't have the right to be mad at their peers that are cheating when this is there's so much that relies on fair competition from money to just spirit of competition to popularity whatever I get that but I also felt that this year it's like I never see uh every stadium universally condemn you know other players we could and I could talk about all sorts of off the field stuff and I'm not saying that that is or that what Tati said did isn't bad it's more that I never see the same energy elsewhere, which is what really annoyed me. I went to a Yankees game this year where they all booed him viciously um, and at, at, at every opportunity when he's up at the plate. And I'm like, didn't y'all, aren't y'all the same fans that asked Teoscar Hernandez if he had a green card? Aren't y'all the same fans that had Donaldson and Chapman and Domingo Herman and you didn't care about all this stuff that included teammates having to get involved like after a party or whatever with Domingo Ramon like really rough stuff uh in my opinion from the Yankees fan base not that that should be any surprise at all this is what the Yankees fan base has been for a long time but uh that was my my tick uh, in a lot of ways I just really didn't understand that but for better or worse he was kind of the villain uh for individual players this year and I think what's interesting is like I said I was kind of interested to see if he would be like a little bit more toned down in his personality and I think he was this year. I think he was a lot more humbled, uh, Tatis. And I think that that was important because there were moments, and I think famously the Machado-Tatis incident from two years ago in the clubhouse, or I should say the dugout, my apologies, um, kind of blew up this idea that is this guy a little bit of a prima donna? Is he a little bit like, all right, he's a young kid, but is he acting like he already owns the place? Now, again, he's a young kid, which is one of the reasons I always get mad. It's like, why, why was Tatis covered? For what he did, the same way NBA media covered Ja Morant and what he did, right? Again, I don't want to get down too many tangents. That's a separate podcast in a lot of ways. Um, the the efficacy, ethical stuff, ethical nature of sports and fandom and who we boo and think are villains and not villains. But uh, he was this year, and he kind of didn't change too much in a lot of ways. He still had um, a lot of humility, like I was mentioning, uh, and I think Bob Melvin spoke of it. Um, when he was on the record, when he was talking about basically, this is this is months ago, when he said like this guy has done basically everything I've asked him to do. If I want to put him in a different spot in the order, he's like no problem, like very very yes man type. And I, I think he had to be that way, you know, especially after what happened and letting down his teammates and letting down the sport 
in a lot of ways on top of not getting the shoulder surgery, just a lot of like little antics, the motorcycle stuff, obviously, like just a lot of stuff. He added to grow up a little bit and it feels like he did. And I'm not going to condemn a kid. I never condemned him when he got suspended. I didn't want to condemn him too much. It was disappointing. Sure. But heck, I was more annoyed by Mike Clevenger thinking he had the right to talk about that season suspension uh, when he didn't come out about that. And we all saw how that turned out. So I think that with Tatis, um, one thing that was interesting this year is while he was a little bit more humble, he still had some moments. Um, he wasn't as much of the uh, a taunter uh, to other players necessarily. But one thing that I noticed this year was the fact that um, I think he had something to prove. I think he, he had a little bit of a tiny chip on his shoulder to try to get back and, and perform. And people who were talking smack, he talked smack right back. He did the dance in the outfield when the Cubs fans were booing him at Wrigley, which was very, very funny. And in my opinion, the best counter to uh, fans that I've personally seen um, that was just by actions on the field was him. Uh, it was the night. It was unfortunately the game before I went uh, in Yankee Stadium when they're all booing him. And then he did the like he got on one knee or whatever and pretended that he was like an orchestra conductor. And that was hilarious. And I personally loved it. And I loved how sick the Yankees fans were, especially when he hit like two home runs in that series. So again, just dynamite stuff. I like that he still had the swagger, but it was scaled back a little bit. And I think that every time he was talking back to fans or, you know, countering fans, whatever you want to call it, I think that was completely fine and normal. And there wasn't weird dugout stuff. There wasn't, oh, he didn't try or whatnot. And... That's what I loved about him. And what I think was so fascinating about his season is he did decline. Uh, he did have a rusty uh, bat in a lot of ways. Like he really, it took a while for him to get back. And I think that while he was still an effective player this year, he was, he had some shortcomings. We're going to talk about those shortcomings, guys, in a statistical sense. Now, before we do that, let me just take a second to talk to you about the good folks over at Sleeper. Ladies and gentlemen, you love Sleeper. We all love Sleeper. Let me tell you, the MLB playoffs are obviously here. And that means the clock is ticking on your chance to 100-time your cash on Daily Fantasy Baseball. If we got plenty of stars, we still got plenty of stars left. Bryce Harper, heck, you saw that Orlando Arcia thing? Hey, man came back with a vengeance. Two home runs. <laughs> so maybe you want to bet on Bryce Harper to homer again in tonight's game? Who knows? Why not do it? You could do that necessarily. Or should I say for all these daily fantasy stuff, you can go check out Sleeper and it's really cool. You can pick strikeouts, home runs, total bases, uh, hits, just everything in general. You can make your little uh, your middle points on because we love daily fantasy here over at Lockdown, ladies and gentlemen. So use the promo code Lockdown and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Again, sleeper.com, locked on, $100 match. I got you covered. Go check it out. And we're back, everybody here on the Lockdown Padres podcast. Uh, be sure to go check out SiriusXM, check out the YouTube, and blah, 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 blah. First listen every day, you know what it is. Let's talk about the statistical standpoint of Tatis this year and what went wrong and what went right. I think that, so there's a couple things here. One, there was a lot of Padres fans that were really bullish on Tatis heading into this year. And I, I thought it was great um, in a lot of ways. I think that it was somewhat earned, um, I think. But it's also true that 
people were almost a little bit too bullish at points, specifically Padres Twitter. I know Giannis Antigatapoodle on Twitter, very too much Morton's, one of the great uh, Padres Twitter legends. I still remember when he was talking smack to a writer from Fangraphs who did this article that basically showed you the history of the type of injury that Tatis had and how basically every player more or less either declines for the rest of their career or it's just that first year afterwards. And since Tatis is young, he fit the first year afterwards sort of thing. And basically what happened was he wrote down like Adrian Gonzalez got worse. Guys like Jorge Posada got worse. There's plenty of players that got worse. And I think that that what was so fascinating about Tatis specifically was just that you know, everyone was just like, well, he's built different. He's young. He's a superstar. This is a guy who's been MVP before. He has an, a career WRC plus of now 139. He had a 158 in 2021, 151 the year before that, and 151 his rookie year. Like, this guy is a freak. And my response to that was more of a, I thought the article was perfectly fair. I'm on the record about this, and we could bring it up. I, I'm, I, I might do that when we do our... Uh, takes exposed um, episode later on when I have time to put that together. Um, that my thing was like I expected like Tatis to have a one twenty five to one you know one twenty six type of WRC pluses here. That was my personal prediction because my thing was that's still a really good player. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's still a really really good player. And saying that you didn't expect Tatis to return to MVP form with that one fifty mark with the ultimate home run power when he basically did he lead. Major League Baseball, I think he led the National League in home runs in 2021, his last full season with 42, right, and 17 and 60 games in 2020. Like, I didn't think that that was you being down on Tatis. I think it was just me saying this first year for a guy that we have locked up for the rest of time, I don't think saying he might be a four and a half win player uh, is a bad thing, if you go by F4, for example. And that's exactly what happened. So again, never doubt your boy. He's never wrong. Heck, I told y'all that the Orioles were going to get smoked. In the postseason, a month ago, I said this, a month ago. And guess what happened? They got swept. <laughs> anyway, uh, back to the topic at hand, not to toot my own horn, but in terms of this season, Tatis finished the year with a 257, 322, 449 slash line, which is not great, and a 132 WRC+. plus. He His walk rate was down. He went from 11.4 in his last full season to 8.3%. His strikeout rate went down, which is really cool, from 28 to 22.2%. But isolated power, he had a 328 in 2021, which is just freaking absurd. And then he had a two, or I'm sorry, a 191 this season. And the batting average wasn't necessarily totally unlucky. His BABIP was 299, <coughs> which is certainly down from his career norm of 328. But it's not like he was getting disastrously unlucky in terms of just some of the, the base hit stuff, in terms of the batting average thing. But um, yeah, Tati struggled this year uh, when it came to uh, at the plate. 113 WRC plus is 47 points, or I'm sorry, 45 points lower than his mark that he put up in his last full season. I didn't expect it to be that bad. And I think one of the things that happened here as well was Tatis had like a really bad slump, um, specifically, I believe, towards the end of the year, um, which is something that really hurt him, obviously. No crap, right? Uh, in terms of by the month uh, this season, if you want to go by WRC plus, which is what I'm going to go by, he started off in May with the few games that he played. Um, I'm sorry, first few months of the season, 110 WRC+, plus, 100, then 172, right, in June. He was on fire, and then he just became like a really slumping guy. 96 in July, 92 in August, and September, October, and 96. So he wasn't atrocious. He didn't hit a slump that made him, let's say, 
like a Trent Grisham quality batter with like a 47 WRC plus one month or whatever. It's just that he never, he was a slightly below average batter and that's what really hurt them. And he wasn't hitting for power. He wasn't hitting a lot of home runs and it wasn't great. In total, if you just want to mark it up, first half, he had a 138 WRC plus second half an 85. So perhaps that is his body still being used to like he had a whole year off guys. Like he had a whole year where he wasn't playing baseball. So maybe he was still getting the swing of things. And after a while, you know, he broke down just a tiny bit. Possibly. Was there any injury to speak of? No, not necessarily. I'm just saying in general that um, Tatis was uh, just, he, he fared well, uh, for, fared poorly, I'm sorry, uh, as the season went on. And that was a problem. And I think one of the things that happened this year, uh, from my standpoint, if you just look at the basic, like, baseball savant page, the guy still hits the ball as hard as ever. Uh, he still hits the ball super hard. He's still got crazy amounts of speed, so he can leg out grounders every now and then. So that's not an issue going forward. And he's still, by the way, like finished as nearly a 30-30 guy this season, right? Like he was really good at that respect, which was awesome. And I love it. I love it when guys almost hit 30-30. 25 home runs. Oh, oh, God. Almost died there. My God. Uh, 29, 25 home runs this year and 29 stolen bases, which broke his career high which is awesome. And in just, and a few less games, uh, really cool that Tatis was still aggressive on the base paths, uh, despite not being nearly as effective as a batter this season. So nearly a 30-30 guy, that still says a lot. Again, Tatis was not bad offensively this year. It's just that he was bad compared to previous years. And I think one of the things that happened was, from just what I had watched, um, really aggressive at the plate this year. Um, you could see it. I don't even have to bring up stats for you. Right, but if if you want me to, out of zone swing percentage this year was up by 1.6 percent, otherwise known as, or I'm sorry, out of zone percentage of pitches he saw an increase in that. So batters were taking advantage, or I'm sorry, pitchers were taking. I'm struggling with words today. Pitchers were taking advantage of his aggressiveness, and then out of zone swing percentage was up by um, 2.9 percent this year, and first pitch swing percentage was up by 4.9 percent this year. So he was super super aggressive at the plate. And I don't think that's always a good thing. Sometimes when you're super aggressive, it can be great. But sometimes you may have the BABIP and the balls in play and all those sorts of things and expected batting average. Uh, luck start to roll a little bit more when you're swinging so much. And I think that he was pressed. I think he wanted to you know, prove that he was back. I think that this team was struggling and he wanted to really have the big hit to put everything over the top. And I think that that's what happened to him as a batter this year. Again, the big thing with him was the walk rate. And don't get me wrong, he's always been a guy that strikes out a decent amount. His best season, he had a 28 points, what was it, 28 strikeout rate? I don't even have it in front of me right now. What was it? What was it? 28 point, um, 28% strikeout rate. This year was 22.2, which was good. But I think the problem was that he just wasn't walking nearly as much. He wasn't seeing enough pitches. And that's what led to a lot of trouble. And I think he was really force, uh, forcing it. Again, not that bad still because Tatis finished with a 4.4 F4. Again, I was basically on point about this guy practically uh, in 2023, which ranked as the 30th, or I'm sorry, tied for the 30th best mark along with Xander Bogarts, TJ Friedel, Will Smith, and James Outman among all position players. That's pretty good. And in fact, if not for such a bad first half like that aside, he probably should have been an all-star this year. He was top 15 in F4 by the time the all-star break rolled around. And I think we all know the reason that people didn't want to necessarily vote for him or whatnot. I also think he might have been ineligible. Don't, don't quote me on that. I, th I don't know if he was ineligible because of the suspension to be voted in anyway. But again, really dumb, really unfortunate. But that's just how it happens. And then the second half, 
he just did not prove anyone wrong, unfortunately, about the naysayers. So he wasn't good in that respect. But again, he still hit for power. And more importantly, though, uh, we got to talk about whether or not he got unlucky. And I think that he did. Now, he did. He was way too aggressive at the plate, which is what I think resulted in some of the stuff not going his way. But in terms of weighted on base, which is a really good statistic in terms of, you, like, it's a good statistic to tell who, like, it gives you the value of how a player got on base, basically, for those who don't know, versus them just getting on base. So instead of just being, like, the way batting average is really flawed because a, a double uh, ups the batting average the same way that a single does, right? And that's why it's not necessarily the best statistic to use for judging players uh, as a whole and their total season output. Um, but weighted on base, again... How did you get on base? And his weighted on base versus ex his expected weighted on base was really drastically different. Uh, it actually, he had one of the greatest differentiations between the two in the entire league. He had a weighted on base of 332 and an expected weighted on base of 368. It's a pretty mighty difference. So if he's at 368, all of a sudden we're like, wow, that's, that's much better. I'm not saying that that makes him like an incredible player. I still think that in total that just... Increases things. Maybe he's a 270 hitter with a 330 on base, and he's got a little bit more home runs. He did get robbed. Uh, for those who don't remember, the Julio Rodriguez one, uh, probably being the poster boy for that, that was the one when he jumped over, caught it, and then he pretended Julio. I love Julio. I'm not going to lie. Uh, when he, like, pretended he didn't have it for a second, and then he did the little, like, glove reveal. I'm not going to lie. That was amazing. But that's just one little microcosm example of what Tatis' season was like, especially when it comes to some of the big hits. Uh, that he was aiming for. So he did get a little bit unlucky, but not in the sense that I'm, I, I think he was... M Manny Machado has had a lot more unlucky seasons in my experience because of his... a little bit of a lack of speed. And I remember, like, I think it was his last... it was his second to last season in Baltimore. He had one of the unluckiest, like, seasons ever. You go look up, like, Machado 2017, something like that. Go I, His second to last season, I'm pretty sure. He had, like, one of the, the unluckiest seasons in all of baseball. So... Go check that out. It's an article on Fangraphs. Um, I don't think he was quite that level unlucky, but he still wasn't great. Um, and I think it's because he was a little bit too aggressive and he was just a little bit rusty, which is fine. But more importantly, you might be wondering, well, then if he was kind of like not awesome as a bat, now he did have the counting stats with the 25 home runs, 29 steals. How did he still finish with a 4.4 F4? And with that poor second half. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the most fun part. The best part about Fernando Tatis Jr.'s season the defense. But before we get into that, ladies and gentlemen, let me just take a quick second to talk to you about our friends over at Jace Medical. Ladies and gentlemen, that's right, folks. The Jace case from Jace Medical it provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. And all it takes to get a Jace case is to fill out a simple online form. And in some cases, jump on a quick call with some of their uh, board-certified physicians. So they got you covered. In that regard, do not worry. Get ongoing care from their physicians on any treatment-related questions. Doctor created, doctor recommended. It's been tough over these last few years, obviously, with the pandemic, with supply shortages in general. So it's it's it, it ain't easy, man. It ain't easy. So you don't want to rely on all these kind of chains and supply chain issues sometimes. Uh, and Jace Medical's got you covered if you're in a pinch. So go, guys, check it out. Fill out the form. And get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using my code. What is it? Go ahead. I know you're listening. Go ahead and say it. You know what it is. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Locked on, ladies and gentlemen, at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. 
code locked on for $20 off. Go check it out. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast, 2023 Padres review, Fernando Tatis Jr. We talked about the batting. We talked about how now great it was. And I actually forgot one last point. I was going to bring up one last point that I, my apologies, guys. It's literally, I have the tab open. I'm really upset that I missed it. But what I wanted to talk about really quickly before um, we get into kind of the, the grade for Tatis' season, we got to talk about the defense and another thing that went that actually went well with his batting. We're going to talk about the defense first because that's what I alluded to, and I'm in disorganized mess. But Fernando Tatis Jr. had one of the great transformations as a defensive player that I have seen on this Padres team in forever, uh, quite frankly. And I know that I haven't been following them as much as other people, but I haven't seen anything like this. I haven't seen uh, a player, and I, I don't like the doing the, the ever... Uh, especially when I'm 27 years old and I haven't been around as much, uh, especially because it might have been something from seven years ago, eight years ago, a different player. But Tatis transitioned to a new position, a completely new position, uh, better than anyone I've seen in a long time. Um, And that is, of course, him going from shortstop to right field, one, because of the signing of Xander Bogarts, and two, because Hassan Kim was awesome there and, and he's a great infielder. So Tatis moves to right field. And it was something that actually happened a little bit in his 2021 season. It didn't happen a lot, and there wasn't enough evidence to say whether he'll be good or bad, uh, quite frankly, in 2021. And I think that we all just thought, okay, this is them just trying to keep him healthy. He'll probably be back at shortstop next year. He maybe gets the surgery. And that doesn't happen. And instead, he just moves to right field, and it was Perfect. That was one of the biggest questions. Aside from personality stuff that I mentioned in the first segment, how is he going to fare in right field? It's completely different. This isn't shortstop to second. I'm not saying that shortstop to second is a negligible difference, but it's, I feel like moving from infield to outfield is a lot bigger. You know what I mean? The only other bigger thing would be moving from a position player to a pitcher, right? So Tatis did that this year. And he was phenomenal, ladies and gentlemen. And it started fast. You know what I mean? I think that's what I like the most about this. He finished the year with an outs above average mark of nine, which ranked in the 94th percentile of all major league players. In terms of arm strength, he was in the 99th percentile. In terms of his arm value, all that good stuff on Baseball Savant, he was up there too, and it was great. He always had the tools. But there have been players that people assume are going to be great um, defensive players, especially in the outfield, because of their athleticism. They're like, well, Tatis is fast, and he gets to... You know, he moves, he's got good range, and he's got uh, a, a decent amount of height. Like, he's just a freak athlete. You watch him in the outfield. Remember the air Tatis grab that he made from shortstop? Well, why can't he transition? Well, hey, sometimes players don't do that, uh, even if they have all the tools. And sometimes there's a little bit of a stereotype for what makes for a good outfielder. And I think that uh, two players to bring up here would be Aaron Judge and Ronald Acuna, right? Aaron Judge, this big, lumbering, tall guy, you would be like, I bet that guy ain't good in the outfield. And he's actually great. It's one of the most underrated, like, attributes of any player in the sport is Aaron Judge's defense. Seriously, I I really do believe that. And then on the other side, you've got Ronald Acuna, who's not this hulking monster, although he is a monster in his own respect. And he's super, super fast, stole 70 bases this year. And guess what? He's a, not a great defender. He's actually in the fourth percentile of outs above average. He had minus nine this year. So, again, there's sometimes a little bit of a, a stereotype for what you expect from um, the mold 
of what makes the peripherals that'll make a good defensive outfielder. So I was a little bit worried. I didn't want to assume that Tatis was going to be awesome in the outfield or frankly, just decent. And man, was I wrong on that. Let me tell you guys, this guy was an absolute freak of nature in the outfield this year. He finished first in Major League Baseball among all qualified players in defensive runs saved with 29. And he also was really up there in outs above average. I already mentioned the percentile. He was the 19th best, uh, tied for the 19th mark with Manny Machado, Eugenio Suarez, and Ryan McMahon in terms of outs above average. Guy was phenomenal. Guy was phenomenal. And I think that one of the big things with the defensive runs saved is the amount of highlights we got this year of Tatis throwing runners out was just something to behold. And don't get me wrong, part of that was maybe players were testing the arm because they didn't know how he would be in the outfield. Naturally, that makes sense. It's a new position, so you're going to run on this guy. Next year, you might not have that many defensive runs saved and that many outfield assists because maybe people aren't going to test him as much, which doesn't mean that it takes away from his defense. I'm just saying you might not see the the in-your-face highlights next year, but it also says something that people aren't going to run on him necessarily uh, next year, which I think is going to be interesting to watch. Similar to, say, for football fans, when judging some of the best corners in the NFL is when you see that they don't even throw at them rather than them getting a lot of tackles or interceptions. Like There's a lot of um, depth to it, and the same thing goes for outfield and baseball. And he was excellent. I mean, the amount of guys that he threw out this year, I tweeted so many times, how dare you run on Tatis? And it was great. He was so, so good in the outfield. And I can't emphasize enough that, like... It, it just wasn't really expected, at least for me, to be this good. Um, and he was incredible. He was in, so incredible, in fact, as a defender this year, that he's probably going to win himself a gold glove. And it's not only going to be because of popularity. You know what I mean? Like, here's the thing. In terms of the gold glove award, it's not always a great award. It's not useless, but you have to look at it in terms of who's nominated, especially because Juan Soto was nominated last year. Juan Soto was famously not great. I call him a tree. Uh, for a reason when it comes to his outfield defense. Um, but Tatis wasn't that, and he has the popularity too. So on top of the Gold Glove usually being a popularity contest, he's also got it going for him that he was also just really good in the outfield. In terms of all qualified outfielders, there's only one player that had more defensive runs saved in terms of just the outfield. Remember, Tatis played center a couple times this year. Only one player had more defensive runs saved in the outfield this year, and it was Dalton Varsho from the American League. And then the next closest to Tatis in defensive runs saved was Bretton Doyle of the Colorado Rockies with 19 defensive runs saved. In terms of outs above average, uh, Tatis was seventh in Major League Baseball among qualified outfielders with Alex Call of the Nationals ranking higher. I'm sorry, Alex Call was tied with him. And then Dalton Varsho, Julio Rodriguez, Luis Robert, Kevin Kiermaier, and Brendan Doyle. And you know what one of the, the things there you might notice? A lot of those guys from the American League, Kevin Kiermaier, Julio Rodriguez, who actually had minus five defensive runs saved, hilariously. That's that's odd. Uh, and then Luis Robert, those are American League players. The only one that's close to Tatis in that regard is Brenton Doyle, who has more outs above average. But Tatis evens that out by having more defensive runs saved. So I think comboing all that together, Tatis is probably winning himself a gold glove. And I cannot wait for the awards to be announced and discuss that because, hey, I remember when Tatis... Um, didn't he get like a gold glove nomination or did he win the, was it 20 in 2020? Cause remember he had that video of like him joking with the plaque saying, Oh, he can't play shortstop. I, mean, I hope I'm not making that up, but I remember that. I hope he does another one of those videos. I don't think he's going to. And I don't honestly, and from the, 
smart standpoint, you know what I mean? Probably shouldn't just because, you know, you don't want to add more fire to yourself. Like just, just stay a little bit low key for a little bit. Um, but just exemplary stuff. And I think that's what really upped him because while his stats overall as a batter were not bad, he definitely was lacking a lot and the counting stats helped him out. Um, and the defense was a big part. The fact that you basically got like Grisham times two value and a really good hitter out of Tatis this year. I think he wasn't disappointing at all in a lot of ways. And don't get me wrong. Offense could be better. Um, this guy, because of the defense that we saw this year, if the bat came back to a 140 mark, even a 138 mark, this guy could be the MVP uh, next year quite easily and much better than Soto in that regard, I think, for the MVP award. Um, Soto has or Tatis has a much better chance than Soto next year. And I bet you that uh, fan duel odds or whatever are going to reflect that because we know that Tatis is a good defender now, unless something disastrous happened. But love the way he transitioned to the outfield. I'm hoping the team doesn't do anything that throws that off because I think it was already a big ask for him to go from short to right field. And obviously he was willing to do it, wants to be on everyone's good side as well. And he's so talented that I imagine he took it as a challenge and was like, let's, let's do this. But I really don't want to see him necessarily moved around. I really don't want to see that. And that's a discussion for another day. But last thing, just quickly to mention in terms of the positives for Tatis, he was also ooh, decently clutch this year, uh, which is not the same uh, as other players on his team. He wasn't amazing, but he, unlike the rest of the Padres, he didn't get just significantly worse in uh, runners and scoring position like other players, like Bogarts, like Machado, like um, Grisham, who was heinous this year with runners and scoring position, right? Tatis was okay. Uh, he didn't get that much worse. You know what I mean? At least it was kind of like... All, all the same, right? In medium leverage situations this year, he had a 140 WRC+, plus, high leverage 81, and a four, more traditional stats in terms of with runners in scoring position this year. He slashed three, I'm sorry, 285, 347, 423. Uh, that's not in like the top 80 of players with runners in scoring position this year. He wasn't great. But I just like that even when he's off batting wise, that he stepped it up just a little bit of a notch. Um, with runners in scoring position this year. And I think that says a lot for a guy who was out for most of the year that he was immediately more clutch than like half the team. I, I really do. Absent Kim, absent Soto a little bit. And it was basically just those three when it came to at least being tolerable with runners in scoring position. So shouts to Tatis for that regard. I think he deserves a lot of credit for that, seriously. I, I don't think a lot of people talked about that. He was able to at least do a little bit better um, with that 280 average than Machado, than Cronenworth, than Grisham, than Bogarts. All those guys, right? So, again, shouts to Tatis, man. Really cool stuff. Um, I, I just, like, it, it, I, I really think he deserves a lot of credit. I think that he had a really good season, and I think that for a guy who's only 24, you have to keep that in mind when discussing this dude. Guys, it's okay if he, there's a year in there where he just has a lowly 4.4. Uh, wins above replacement you know what I mean like that's incredible that that's considered like a not great season for him 3.1 his first year 3.3 in 60 games in 2020 7.3 the, the follow the next year after that I'm hoping the offense comes back and I think it will the guy is too talented all the hard hit stuff is still there remember Juan Soto when we were worried now Juan Soto has been slightly worse than what he was with the Nationals uh overall but remember when we were freaking out because that first month he was super bad, and I, I think that there was actually some weight to that argument because Soto, when they acquired him at the deadline, was also a little bit worse. So there had been a significant, or at least a, a more significant portion sample size. 
um, to say is this guy getting ruined by the Padres. But then what happened after a month, he became like one of the best bats in baseball after that, basically, right? Super clutch, super great, on-base percentage, all that stuff you guys know about Soto. He might be the next player we have to talk about in this uh, season review series. Um, and then you have Tatis, who um, had like a little bit of a rough season. Who says he can't bounce back? We saw Soto do it. Tatis can certainly do it. Soto had in that first month, all the hard hit stuff was great. All the expected on base stuff was great. All the weighted stuff was great. Everything was great. So I would expect Tatis to bounce back uh, as a batter next year for sure and put together a five and a half, six win season. I'm really bullish on him for next year. I think he's going to be great. And all in all, solid season. He may have become a villain. He may have dropped a little bit with his bat. But he transitioned to the outfield great. His personality was great. He was humbled. He was hungry at the same time, which is a hard combination to master, I think. And I'm just grateful that he's a San Diego Padre. As much as things get bad, as much as we get annoyed with this team, thank you, James Shields, because you, as far as I'm concerned, are a Padres Hall of Famer because you gave us another Hall of Famer out of it. So say goodbye, Tatis, to everybody who's watching The Bobblehead on YouTube. Because today, that is it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast. The only pot that may be better than the pot juries themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast for your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, and at L underscore Padres. And of course, on YouTube as well. In terms of future episodes, going to be talking with Paul Holden of Lockdown Rockies next week to celebrate and do a funeral uh, for the Los Angeles Dodgers, as well as just talking about whether or not they could potentially lose the division next year. Going to be talking about that. Tomorrow's episode is an edition of Fun Friday, in which we are going to be talking about the most miserable moments of the 2023 Padres season. Leave any comments below if you have some, and they might make the show on top of my list. I bet a lot of us are going to overreact or uh, overlap, I'm sorry. And then you can also check out Twitter where I put out a tweet talking about it. Feel free to do that. It's going to be fun tomorrow. Kind of want to get this thing going for fun Friday. I kind of want to hear from you guys. Follower Friday? It's probably a better word because it fits the bit more. Fun follower Friday or follower fun Friday. I don't know. We're working on it, but you get my point, guys. And until next time, stay safe. And of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful homies. Take care.